Welcome to services from Winfield Free Will Baptist Church, located in Winfield, Alabama, where we believe the fullness of God is real in our lives. We appreciate you listening and pray you'll continue to do so and that God will richly bless you and touch your life through His Word. Now, let's join Pastor Kent Nelson as he brings God's Word. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Use your Christmas bell box. That's all I'm saying. All right, very good. John chapter 5. We're going to read the first nine verses. After this, the Bible says, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool. A pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Okay, so in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered waiting for the moving of of the water. And what is so intriguing about the moving of the water? Well, verse 4, John tells us, For an angel, an angel, went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. That explains what's going on, but verse 5 introduces us to a man that was there. And a certain man was there, verse 5, which had an infirmity 38 years. 38 years this man had been sick. Some kind of disease, probably paralysis. When Jesus saw him... Verse 6, lying there, and knew that he had been now a long time in the case. He saith unto him, this is Jesus is speaking to the man, wilt thou be made whole? Verse 7, the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but when... But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Man, what a story. I want us to pray. Father, I want to ask you right now, God, to bless the reading, and the teaching of your precious word. We are your people who have gathered here on a Sunday evening, a busy, busy weekend. And our coming is an acknowledgement to you that we want to hear from you, that we want to be encouraged by the word of God, that we want to take these moments and sit and feast at the table of your word and hear you speak to us. All of us, every one of us, each one of us have needs. And God, I pray that you'll help us to see you in this story, the beauty of who Jesus is. And Lord, may we be challenged by this story tonight. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 
in these nine verses, there is a flow to which the writer John is asking us to follow. There are really four main movements to this story that John gives us. And we're going to look at each one of those movements and each one of those movements will break down the details of the story. And then at the end, uh, there are three or four things that we all can benefit from. So let's just have story time at church. Let's dive into the story that John told that includes our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And let's see what God has for us. You see, the first thing, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The first thing that the writer John wants us to see is the needs of many in the story. The, the needs of many. Our attention is pretty quickly drawn to verse 3. After some details about the time of year, about the events that are going on, there's something that's said here that is meant to capture our attention. John records the needs of many in verse 3. He says, In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. I don't know what you feel when you hear that, when you read those words, but your attention is drawn, hopefully, to the needs of those people that lie in a pitiful state at this pool of Bethesda. I couldn't help, but when I read this and began to study it of a conversation that I had several years ago, I remember talking to a man who had been on the scene after a violent tornado had ripped through a populated city. He was quite upset, and as I began to talk to him, I could hear the emotions in his voice. And what he began to say to me, I'll never forget, because you just don't forget when someone speaks in that kind of way. I asked him how it was, and he responded by saying, I could see bodies lying around. And quick upon the scene, I could hear the moans of the hurting people. I don't know if you put that in the context of your own experiences. I, I have watched several of these tornado chasing programs where they come upon a town that's been devastated and suddenly hearing his words, I could put myself in that moment as he describes it. There's chaos abounding. The tornado has ripped through. There's cries. There's sirens. There's darkness. He sees some bodies and he hears the moaning and the groaning of hurt people. That's exactly what John wants you to feel. Verse 3 is, is to bring you upon that area. If you were to study Jewish archaeology, Jerusalem of the day, you understand that coming to the pool of Bethesda, you're, you're walking along and, and suddenly you begin to see steps going down to a pool. As a matter of fact, it speaks of five porticos or five porches, meaning that there were actually Five connected pools together for ritual bathing in the Jewish tradition. As you're walking along, suddenly you begin to take steps down into the water. And the picture is Jesus is walking along, perhaps with some of his disciples in the story. And he steps and he looks down and he sees all the hurting people. That's what you're supposed to see here, church. You're supposed to, to hear, listen to me. 
You're supposed to hear the moaning and the groaning of the people in verse 3. You're supposed to smell the stench of disease in verse 3. You're supposed to be able in your mind's eye to look upon these people and see their desperation, their hurt, and their pain. You're supposed to look at these and see them as in need of something to take them by the hand and help them. Matter of fact, the words that are given to us describing them bring us to that realization. Notice how John describes them. He says they are impotent folk. The word impotent there, your translation might simply say sick. It does not do it justice if that's what your version says. The word impotent here means weak, unable, they are ailing. Yes, to be sure they are sick, but they can't do anything about it. They don't have power over their sickness. They are unable to get relief. They are impotent. Notice how John describes them. They are blind. They cannot see. They are halt, meaning they cannot walk. They are lame. The Bible says that they are withered in verse 3 meaning probably they are paralyzed to a degree. Their muscles are are withered, their bones are contorted, paralysis has set in. And in your mind's eye, you've got to see the pathetic nature of the scene. There's also a contrast here that I want you to please understand. Notice, if you will, in verse 5, it makes the statement that this is a time of feast in Jerusalem. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of happiness. It's a time of joy. It's a time of revelry in the city of Jerusalem. The city of David is alive in this moment. So the writer wants you to hear the jubilation, the joy, the excitement going on, the festivities of the city, and then suddenly be shocked by the destitute and the desperate nature of those in need. Notice with me, if you will, at the end of verse 3, after describing their pitiful condition, they are waiting, longing, hoping for relief. Do you see it? The first movement that John and the Holy Spirit, the Lord, wants you and I to see tonight are the needs, the needs of many And while we see them in the text, I encourage you, you ought to place this upon your life. You ought to place this upon our community. You ought to place this upon our experiences and say, Oh God, I need to see the needs of the many. But notice the second movement here, verse 4. Whereas the needs of many are before us in verse 3, in verse 4, we're given the place of hope. This is intentional. The needs of many and then... The place of hope is found in verse 4. So look at verse 4 with me. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool. This pool is described in verse 2 as being a pool in Jerusalem by the sheep market, which is called Bethesda, having five porches. Uh, First of all, you, you need to know something about this place of hope. It's a natural place of cleansing. And we don't have time to go into all the details, but I think you need to know a few. There were ritual cleansing spots for the Jewish people. They were called pools. They would be called 
in one sense, baths. Not that you would go and remove your clothes, but you would go and walk down into these waters and you would splash yourself in a ritualistic cleansing kind of way. We would later see in John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man at the pool of Siloam. This is another of the locations where they would come and they would have ritual cleansing for certain kinds of uncleanness, for certain periods of time. You could come and then you could bathe and be ritualistically clean. And so it was a place of natural cleansing but notice, this story tells us something different about this pool of Bethesda. It was a supernatural place of healing. And I know what you're thinking. Really, preacher? A place where you could go and, and, and get into the waters. And then what did the, the text say after what? At verse 4, an angel supposedly comes and Stirs the water. What does that look like? Does he stir it with his toe? Does he stir it with his hands? What does the angel do? What are you supposed to do after the angel has stirred the water? And we're not given all of the details, but there's something supernatural occurring here. Skeptics look at this passage and say, well, well, it really shouldn't be in the Bible. There really wasn't a place like this. Oh, there was. He said, well, I've got a problem with this kind of strange kind of healing here in John chapter 5. Well, if you've got a problem with that, you've got a problem with the Bible. You've got a problem with 2 Kings chapter 9 when God tells the prophet to create a certain kind of purified stew to bring healing over people. God works in mysterious ways. You've got a problem with 2 Kings chapter 5 when God told that Assyrian general by the name of Naaman to go down to the muddy Jordan River. And you want to sing the song with me? And he dipped, 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 and he dipped. He dipped. And he came up what, church? Clean. You're going to have a problem with 2 Kings chapter 13 where they were going to bury a dead man and suddenly they decided to cast his body into a cave, and there in that cave was the body of Elisha. And when that deceased man touched the bones of Elisha, he came back to life. You're going to have a problem with other parts of the New Testament. You're going to have problems with Acts chapter 5, where the shadow of Peter God was using to heal people. You're going to have a problem with Acts chapter 19, where the handkerchiefs of Paul were used to bring healing to people. I say all that to say this. I serve a supernatural God that chooses to use means at His disposal to bring about and accomplish His will. And I might not understand it, and you might not understand it, but by faith, I accept it. Why? Because it's what the Bible says. And over and over again, the pages of this sweet book have proven themselves to be true. And so in those areas where I don't understand, in my limited County Road 3, Yumpertown mind can't put its complete arms around the situation. You know what? I say, God, I might not understand it, but I believe it. And so I believe an angel. God allowed for perhaps once a year, it seems, to come into this area where these that are sick and infirmed have gathered with hope, whereas the doctors could not bring healing. They hope that they can be the first to enter into the water. You see, there are the needs of many in the text, and there's a place of hope. But then I have you notice with me, you've got to see this. There's a unique and strange question of Jesus. Look at verse 6. 
Now, now remember the flow, the text. The text wants you to see all the infirm. The text wants you to see the pitiful nature of this moment. The text wants you to, to see that they have gathered in a very unique place. But then the text and the Holy Spirit and John, of course, wants you to see and hear a question. There he is in verse 5. He's been afflicted for 38 years. It doesn't mean that he's been lying in that spot for 38 years, but he's been diseased and sick for 38 years. And Jesus sees them lying there. Jesus sees him lying there in verse 6 and knew that he had been a long time sick in that case. And he saith unto him, or he asked, what's the question, church? Will you be made whole? Let me paraphrase it. Do you want to be healed? Why would Jesus ask that? Why? Why did Jesus ask the question? Don't you think implied in the very fact that he was there was a sense of him wanting to be healed? If you're a good Bible student, you'll ask that question. You'll struggle with that question. Maybe as you're struggling with it, you'll, you'll realize that Maybe Jesus asked that question to highlight that some people might not really want healing. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes people completely identify with their weakness and their inability. There's a spiritual analogy there. Sometimes uh, people might say they want to change. People might say that they want delivered from their sin, that they want to be delivered from their addiction. They say this, they say this, they say that, they say that, but at the end of the day, they're comfortable with their identity in sin. They don't even try to help themselves. And maybe Jesus asking that question brings us to ask ourselves about spiritual realities. Do we really want to change? Or do we just go through the mechanisms? Do we really want to change? Do we really do the things that can bring and about change and help us in our lives? And maybe that question is asked for that purpose. Some hide behind the flesh and the brokenness of sin. They say, that's just my human condition, and I can't do anything about it. Maybe the question helps with that. But maybe, and here's why I think Jesus asked the question, now watch me, is to begin to draw the man into deeper and greater faith. In other words, is to reveal his great and utter desperation. And I think that's it. Let's look at the text. Notice his answer. Verse 6, Jesus asked at the end of the verse, Will thou be made whole? Verse 7 says, And the impotent man, stop right there, gives us every indication that's exactly why Jesus asked the question. The man that was unable, the man that was weak, incapable of changing his infirmity and his disease, the impotent man answered him, verse 7, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but when I am coming, another steppeth down before me. I need you to feel the weight of that moment. Here is a man who has great needs that has been brought to a place of hope, but yet in the place of hope there is hopelessness. Are you tracking with me? Even though I'm here, he says, for the place where I could receive healing, I will not receive healing because others will get 
into the pool before me. I have no one else to help. When you're paralyzed, you're not going to stand up and walk into the water to receive the healing that you need. You see, Jesus asked a question to bring to the forefront the hopelessness, utter desperation of the man. <laughs> so, so are you following me? The emotions run deep in the story. They bring us to the point then of Jesus' response. We have smelled the gangrene of rotting flesh. We have seen the desperation and the hurt of people on the steps of the pool of Bethesda. We have seen the, the strange location and, the, and, and the, the, perhaps even the mockery that would would be made of them. Yeah, you're going down to that place hoping to get into the water, but you'll not make it. Man, without anyone there to help him, implying that there were others to help the lame that were there. But Jesus heard this man say, I have no man. All of that brings us to the point of seeing the power of Jesus. Verse 8. Look at the simplicity of the verse. Jesus saith unto him, three actions, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Jesus doesn't need the stirring of the waters of an angel. All Jesus needs is the authority of his word. Unbeknownst to the man, who thought that he was a hopeless man in the place of hope, there before him was the Prince of Peace, the hope of all hopes. So Jesus simply says to the man, Rise, take up thy bed. Hey, listen to me, church. Let me ask you, though. Is, is this declaration, is this healing a response to the man's incredible faith? No, he doesn't even know it's Jesus. Notice how he responds, sir, he says in verse 7, I have no man. He doesn't know who Jesus is. And yet Jesus, filled with grace and mercy, gives him exactly what he needs. All right, three things here. Three things. Number one, if you want points of application, here they are. Number one. Don't lose hope when others have been delivered. Don't lose hope. You got to put yourself in that man's shoes. It seems quite evident. This is not the first time he showed up at the pool of Bethesda. Sir, I have no man, he said to Jesus. Sir, you got to understand that, that others have people that will help them down into the pool. And I've been here other years and I've never been able to make it. Why? Because others have beat me to it. And so year after year, that man lie on the steps in his desperation, in his pain. And he heard the rejoicing of the one who had been healed. 
The one who had made it down into the water. And perhaps, I don't know, I, I guess I would, if I had been healed miraculously of something, I'd come out of that water rejoicing. I'd come out of that water yelling. I'd come out of that water running up the steps, and everybody would know I had been healed. And for year after year after year, he had witnessed others receive so desperately what he had longed for. But what happened? He kept coming back. Listen, can I encourage you? Don't lose hope when others have been delivered and you haven't. Keep coming to the place of hope. Keep crying out to your Savior. Keep praying. Keep falling upon your knees. Don't rise up with envy for those who have experienced the goodness and grace of God, that very same goodness and grace and the measure that you so long for and yet have not attained. Don't Give up in God's perfect timing. He brings what's for you. So don't give up. Don't give up praying for your lost loved ones. Don't give up on those wayward children. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. If that man, listen to me, had decided, well, that's it. The previous year, I'm not going back. I'm done. I've been there six years before, and I'm tired of the disappointment. And he didn't show up that day in John chapter 5. He would have missed the moment of God's grace and mercy. And so what do I say to you? Keep keeping on. Don't give up. Secondly, ah, here it is. Trust Jesus even when you don't understand. Amen? Trust Jesus even when you don't understand, church. This cat didn't even know who Jesus was. He didn't know that this was the Son of God. He didn't know that this was the Messiah. He just simply said to him, Sir, sir, do you not know? I, I don't have anybody here. He didn't know who he was talking to. And yet, he operated in simple obedience. Ah, did you see it though? The text said that he healed him first, and then he arose, took up his bed, and walked. His obedience was in response to what God had done for him through Christ. All right, so put yourself there, please. What's the application to you and me? What, what do I need to take from this? I need to sit back and think about what God has done for me. I need to sit back and think about how I have been delivered from my sins. I have been given hope. I have been given eternal life. I have been given so much. It's what we talked about Wednesday night, bringing forth that sacrifice of praise to the Lord. He desires it. He longs for it. We owe it to Him. We owe Him our lives. Let's Trust in Him. And so if He has given us everything, then simple obedience is the natural response. It's been 38 years since He had arose and walked. And yet, because of the touch of the Master, He eagerly said, yes. Trust Him. When we make a move for God, he always provides the strength. Trust Him. Trust Him. And then finally tonight, third application. Don't lose hope when others are delivered. Trust Jesus even when you don't understand. And then number three, can I tell you, Jesus wants to make you whole? Huh? Jesus wants to make you whole. Yes. It's interesting that the word here, 
Sir, would you like to be made whole? It's the word hygiene. It's, it's a word that's, that's kind of complicated. You see, we might have a translation that simply says, do, do you want to be healed? And, and that's okay, but it's not completely what Jesus said here. You see, the idea of wanting to become whole carried with it the reality that something had happened in the man's life that had robbed him of his full completeness. 38 years ago, obviously, a disease, a sickness, maybe an accident had robbed him of his mobility. He was not in completeness. He was a partial person, if you will. And so Jesus says to him, well, do you want to be healed? Not really. Jesus says to him, do you want to be made whole? Do you want something restored to you that will make you complete? And can I tell you that that's what Jesus wants to do for all of us? We're not just talking about physically. I think obviously we understand our brokenness, don't we? We understand how life has taken things from us. We understand what it feels like in one sense to be that man in a condition that we cannot fix in and of ourselves. Something happens to us 20 years ago, and for 20 years we've been trying to fix that problem, and it's only become something that's more of an issue for us, and we're not complete, we're not whole, but what can Jesus do? We bring it before him, we trust in him, and he can bring wholeness. Maybe we need forgiveness. Maybe we need to forgive others. Maybe we need to get out of that root of bitterness that has so taken over our life. It's something that must be done that is helping us to get outside of ourselves, to bring completeness into our life. But understand, this text reminds you and I that Jesus wants to make us whole. I think about young Timothy. Uh, young Timothy was a young preacher of the gospel. He was a, a, a young man that felt incomplete, and perhaps he felt incomplete because of his childhood. It seems that young Timothy was raised without a father. It seems that young Timothy didn't have the boldness that would have been given to him through the steady influence of a father in the home. And Timothy felt somewhat incomplete. Even as a leader, Paul would have to tell Timothy quite often, Timothy, stand up, be strong. Don't let people make fun of your youth. Timothy, God has placed something within you. And then... God said through Paul, Timothy, God hath not given you a spirit of fear. Timothy, God has given you the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. In other words, Timothy, all that God has called you to be, he equips you and empowers you to be. And as you feel incomplete, trust in the Lord, he has given you wholeness for the calling upon you. And so, so my challenge to you here is simply this. You and I all feel incomplete. There's something about us that we know isn't right. And Jesus says, I will make up the difference. I can make you whole. But you've got to trust me. And so is Jesus asking you that question tonight? Would you like to be made whole? Would you like to give that pain, that emptiness, that lack of whatever over to him, acknowledging it in your life, and let him bring wholeness to you? This is a place of healing. It's a place where God has gathered broken people to come to a Savior to receive the wholeness that he offers. And I just asked you tonight, will you be honest enough? 
looking at the text, understand you're there. Am I going to be honest enough to say I'm there? And say, yes, Jesus made me alive. Will you do that tonight? I want you to pray with me. Father, look at this man that was the most hopeless among the hopeless. Jesus brought him to the point of realizing just how desperate of a situation that he was in. And then offered him the hope and the help to bring wholeness. And so God, tonight, I pray that in the midst of this, that we've seen ourselves, that we see our brokenness, we see our lack of completeness, our inability to fix ourselves. And we have been drawn to that sweet Savior who knelt down on that step to that man and asked, will you be made whole? And God, may we respond to that. May we say yes. And so, Father, whatever pain, whatever, whatever we're lacking, whatever holds us back, Lord, in our service to the kingdom, may we give it to you. Lord, if we are envious of those that have experienced that double portion of grace and mercy, and yet we haven't, may we bring that to you because in and of itself that too is something that needs to be made whole. God, if we have failed to trust you in simple obedience, may you remind us that too is something that needs to be dealt with, that we could be made whole. And God, may we trust, Lord, in you tonight. Lord, bless our time together, I pray in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You feel that aching, that longing, that incompleteness? I do. Makes me want to long for the Savior. I hope it does for you as well bringing that before him and saying, I put it at your feet. God, use my past. God, use the brokenness, the pain that was inflicted upon me. God, use this thing even that has been a pain and a burden for me. God, make me whole through it. Maybe you have a loved one that's going through difficult time and they need a touch from the Savior. Maybe you want to pray for them now. Tell you what we're going to do. Miss Lisa's going to play and we're just going to let you do business with God as God leads in your heart. Maybe you want to come to an altar. Come on if that's you. Need to pray for someone. Need to pray for yourself. No shame here. Just come and pray. Maybe you want to take somebody by the hand and pray with them. Pray for them. I don't know what... God is leading you to do in this hour moment of dedication. But listen to him. Follow him. You can trust him. Remember, this man simply trusted. You trust the voice of the Savior. Please, he's going to play. You do this as God is.
You've been listening to services from Winfield Free Will Baptist Church. We're located at 1960 U.S. Highway 43 in Winfield, Alabama. We'd love to have you join us live in person if you're available. Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. each Sunday with worship services at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. and Bible study every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. If you'd like to support the ministry of Winfield Free Will Baptist Church or you'd just love to send us your questions, comments, or prayer requests, feel free to mail us your love offering or correspondence to P.O. Box 866 Winfield, Alabama 3559. You can also give by texting 256-344-3648. Follow us online. Just search for Winfield Free Will Baptist Church on Facebook, where we live stream all of our services. Again, thank you for joining us.